Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Elec 25 We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM 975HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. We will get to our interview with Anne Ligori in a little bit. Jeff, that'll be a lot of fun talking about her new book dealing with golf, life on the green, lessons and wisdoms from legends of golf, which is much more than golf. Uh, good get this week. How you doing, man? It's a long, it's a long title. It is a long title. Um, <laughs> it is, but. And you impressively handled it. I did. I'll, don't worry. I'll screw up more during the show. I'll uphold the standard that I've brought to this show for all these years and mess things yeah. up. You know, I'd like to talk about a, a legal standard for a minute, okay. if you don't mind. So have you heard, you know how much I can't stand uh, what, what the Giants backup quarterbacks. Tommy agent, agent. Yes. And, and, and how embarrassing he is. Yes. Um, have you heard about this Chiefs fan who he's like, I think he's called the Chiefaholic or something like that. No. And he's like this big Chiefs fan who apparently has now been arrested for all sorts of theft. Uh, he had an attorney come out. I refuse to say that. Oh, he pleads name. guilty to bank robbery charges? He, he, I don't think he pled guilty, did he? Oh, uh, Faces up to 50 years in prison after pleading guilty to violent bank robbery spree. That headline was from Wednesday. Okay. His attorney came out and gave a press conference using all sorts of football terms. <laughs> okay. It was one of the most embarrassing things that I've seen as part of this profession. Okay. And and I refuse to say his name. The lawyer's and, name. And, and yeah, I, I, I just want to say, we're not all like that. <laughs> <laughs> you had to use that, that disclaimer to start the show this I, week. I, I, really, I really do. Like, you know, it, it, it's... That was not agents, in the prep doc, attorneys. everybody. That's just Jeff. What? That was not in the prep doc. That was just Jeff's stream of consciousness. <laughs> Got on the air, threw it to him, and let me get something off my chest. <laughs> That's it. And then, I mean, otherwise, go Chiefs or whatever whatever floats your boat. But, but this guy... Don't don't reward him for bad behavior and don't reward his attorney for being for coming out and giving a stupid statement. <laughs> and now I, we can move on. To, I was going to start <laughs> with <laughs> I was going to start with baseball, but I mean, we could start with football. Did you see that they did the, the surveys again of the players for the teams? Because you mentioned the Chiefs. Yeah, those commanders did really well. Yeah, I saw the Chiefs came in, what, 31st? Uh, they did not perform rather well in it. Wasn't all. it? I think it was 35. I think they came in second to last, which which leads you to believe that this survey is flawed. Well, right? every, everybody likes the Eagles coaches. They didn't play for them, but they liked them. I mean, wait, that wait, would wait, generally wait. be the time that you would show that you like your coach when you have the chance to play for so, them. So what was the point of this survey again? It's a player survey grade on right. everything from coaches to ownership to facilities. So they ask a lot of questions about it all. But uh, it's about the organization. Yes. Okay. So the organization that is current, the current standard bearer for what, how an organization should be run. I think everybody can agree is the chiefs based well, on their success. It, they're based on there are particular things that people point out, like with the chiefs management, I guess, proposed to renovate the locker room. And I guess ownership only added chairs, which became a key complaint in last year's survey. Okay, I mean, the, the Tampa Bay bucks make young players and non-starters room with one another on road games. If they want their own room, they have to pay $1,750. 
the Chiefs provide daycare, which apparently not? the Chiefs provide daycare, which apparently uh, the Patriots uh, do not. But the Chiefs do for players' children, but it's not on site, and players have to pay for it. So, like, what's the point of offering daycare at that point? My question is, why did the NFLPA not negotiate so that there's a standard set of terms by which every team operates instead of having these things come up? I'm so glad that the lawyer asked that because my kind of dummy mind went to the same thing. Why do you have it as such a powerful entity that each of these teams can decide what the experience is like for the players. I, I just, it's mind numbing to me. They are a billion dollar business. And you, you would have thought that we all learned from the Leonard Toast days. No, we don't learn anything ever. We never learn anything. We talked about this with Michael Lombardi as the NFL in particular does not acknowledge history, let alone learn from it. It just they don't. And that it just studies like this reinforce that. Now, again, I, I no this the, this study the, is flawed. The, fa- it's the flawed fact that, so many different. Yes. ways. The fact that the fact is, OK, what did the Eagles have a really nice locker room? whoop de do right now they're in t- disarray so who cares well that's part of this is a players union survey and it's part of the players experience so I, I having a nice locker room and facilities matter what i have an issue with is the players saying how great nick sirianni is and not showing it in the last seven games of the season on the field and in the playoffs like i don't care what you say in a survey if when i look at the final score and the product on the field it's clear you did not appreciate what was going on. It doesn't matter. He seems like a good guy as long as Big Dom's there to control him. You're never going to get off Big Dom. No, I'm not. That, <laughs> have, have That's you your heard, new thing. <laughs> since that came out last week, have you heard anybody refute that story? No, I haven't at all that's that's the surprising part of this i haven't heard much refuting of any of the stories that are really out there frankly Um, i just i think it's a very damning comment on what used to be a a good organization and when a story comes out that basically the sideline bouncer (laughs) needs to control the, the emotions of the head coach you just you cannot get over that one you're going to have a hard no, time. I, I, th- I think it's embarrassing. You, you are going to have a hard time. I, I do have a, a question moving off the Eagles for a second. Did you see what's going on with McCole Hardiman and the Jets and the Eagles and the Chiefs kind of tying this all together? Go for it. So the Jets think that Hardiman leaked their game plans. Uh, he had admitted that he was checked out before he went to KC and uh, you know, players both publicly and anonymously have alleged that he leaked things. Sauce Gardner alluded to it this week, saying that they got the offensive game plan leaked versus the Eagles. SNY's reported that Hardiman, frustrated by his lack, leaked game plans to the opposition team, uh, not just the Eagles, but also the Chiefs. If if you're a team, whether those are rumors or not, you have to look into that. But do you question bringing a player there that could potentially take things out of your locker room to other teams? Or is this a well, normal thing that goes on? I don't know. No, and unfortunately, the answer to the question will depend on how good the player is. If this is Justin Jefferson quality receiver, people will take a chance. People will always take a chance. Unfortunately, as proof by Tyreek Hill, who's in the news again. Yes. So, but when it comes to Mikol Hardiman, does anybody care? Is he that good that he is worth bringing him in if these stories are true? 
The answer is no. And, and, and likely if, it, if any of this stuff is true and, and quite frankly, even if it isn't now, all you're saying, all of these people are out there, including his former teammates who are saying this. I'd like to point out the Eagles still managed to lose to the Jets, even with the game plan being leaked to them. If you believe what's being said, just got to point that out. There. I would, I would say to you that he's not going to, he's going to have a really hard time finding a job. Well, that's uh, going to be a problem for him. His last catch may be uh, winning the Super Bowl in the NFL then. Anything else on Good the NFL him. side? Do you care that the NFL decided not to change the end zone fumble rule where if you fumble through the end zone, the other team gets the ball? Apparently, no. the competition committee doesn't care. All right, no. let, let's move on to... Move on. We'll leave football there. Let's go on to some baseball before we yes. go to Ann and then we'll talk everything else. Uh, do you want to talk on the field or off the field? <sighs> Go ahead. Get your off the field out of the way. Do you care that after 27 years, the Phillies are getting rid of dollar dog night? I'm here. I'm just choosing not to respond. <laughs> I don't eat hot dogs, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> what do I care? So you don't care for anybody else that they won't have that experience? Look, I, it was I, a prom- what? Wait a second. You're, you're actually wasting airtime complaining about a promotion? I'm talking it, dollar well, dog night was a promotion. It's yes. not something the Phillies did. You don't think it's subsidized well, by Hatfield or whoever it was the dollar dog at that yeah, particular year. I don't think it's not going to be done because Hatfield won't subsidize it. I think it's not going to be done because stuff was thrown on the field and the lines are crazy long. Like that's I, that's the reason that I think it's being stopped. Not because Hatfield decided they're not doing it because they're still going to do a buy one, get one offer and they're still right. going to do all kinds of stuff throughout the ballpark. So it's not like they're not advertising or sponsoring anymore. I think it's being stopped because of the way the fans have acted in the past couple and you, of years. And you know, what in today's society we all need to be a little bit healthier and so maybe you don't need to eat 10 hot dogs at the baseball game wow right? you went vegan grandpa on the show today. no i didn't not i'm only- not going vegan. no no i'm not it has nothing to do with beef <laughs> versus tofu it has to do with the fact that you don't need to eat 10 hot dogs or 20 <laughs> hot dogs at a game because they're a dollar a piece i, I just who wish cares? I, look, there were people who it, it, Prices at, the, prices at the ballpark are expensive, though, and there are people that plan to go on that night. And I think it's a shame that because I think it's because of fan behavior. Wait, 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 wait. Happened. So how much is the hot dog now? Five dollars. OK, so now you can get two for five. Yes. OK. Or you so, could have gotten five for five okay. under that. It, well, you know what? If you can Which get again, a hot dog with I'm a not bun and service hot. for two dollars and 50 cents, you really don't have a lot to complain about. If I'm eating five hot dogs, I'm not sleeping that night. So I just like to like say, like, I'm not eating five hot dogs. But if you're a family going with kids to a game, mm-hmm. it's expensive. I, I'm just saying, I think it's a shame. It wasn't taken away because they can't afford to do it, in my opinion. It was taken away because of the way people acted. That's that's my opinion. So, and you if, like me to have if they were charging fifteen dollars for a hot dog, I'd make that argument. But if the the bank breaker for a family is not the two dollar and fifty cent hot dog, if I take my kids and my wife to the game and it's the four of us and we each get two mm-hmm. hot dogs, that's forty bucks for hot dogs instead of eight dollars for okay, hot. Okay, well, eat difference. beforehand or eat afterwards or have one hot dog each. My God, you have no sympathy for anybody going to the game. This is all about the fact that. 
Jeff's world. He doesn't eat hot dogs. Doesn't Sorry, hot fans. Dog. Doesn't matter. You got to find a food that Jeff eats to get for a dollar. The, the chicken steak or bull's barbecue is like 15 bucks. So I didn't realize we were going by economies of scale for this promotion. <laughs> Can we talk about some other giveaways this year that are fun? Oh, I thought, uh, no. Well, if we're going to do that, can we just do that when we have somebody on who actually knows things about giveaways? Can we do that? Can you, can we try to get somebody on we, and remember we can try to do that? I see. This is not where I thought you were going. Where'd you think I was I did going? not think that we'd be wasting time talking about how many hot dogs somebody can throw down their throat for a dollar a piece. I thought when you were talking off the field, you were talking about Bryce Harper <laughs> demanding an extension. We talked to about that last still week. Has you don't like well, it's it. It's still in the news. Oh, I didn't think you were still going to like keep going off about it. I mean, this is not surprising. Well, in the grand scheme of things, if if people listening right now had a choice between talking about hot dogs and talking about Bryce Harper, I'm hoping that, I, that our listeners wanted to talk about Bryce Harper. That was timely. It happened yesterday. I also had, I had told you I would get the new <laughs> rules to talk about this week if you'd like in baseball. Would you like to talk about any of them? Yeah, we can play if I were commissioner. That's, that's perfectly fine with me. And by the way, before you go there... Do not lose sight of the fact that your fifth starter now has a new pitch. So Chris Sanchez unveiled the other day his cutter, which apparently Carlos Correa was caught completely off guard on and turned around the carrot stuffs and said, what was that? <laughs> so, so look, that's a good thing. I mean, Sanchez was not somebody anybody ever expected to be a starter, had a great season as a fifth starter last year, and is continuing to work on improving and not just resting on his laurels. And I think that's a good thing. If you look, I looked at the rankings of the best starting rotations in baseball, and the Phillies are, are routinely listed as one of the top five rotations in baseball this year. Well, and it looks like Wheeler's working on a new pitch, too. So, I mean, yeah. those are all good things. And it looks like Nola, I mean, he's had one pit, one outing so far, but it's sort of what he had said last year. Whatever he figured out about where he was looking or it seems like he feels much more comfortable where he is. It, it looks like the battles out there. Isn't it an even year? This <laughs> is so he'll be good. Yeah. Odd even. Yeah. The, I mean, the battles out there for the fifth outfielder, two bullpen spots and the basically the sixth pitcher, because they'll probably go with a six man rotation. So, you know, you, you assume it's Wheeler, Walk, uh, Nola, Sanchez, Suarez and Walker. And then if you're carrying six, it's Kobe Allard, Nick Nelson, Castillo, McAble. You think the Phillies are going with the six man rotation? I do. I do, especially I, I after they've it. seen early in the season, after they've seen Nola and Wheeler wear down in past years. And Suarez go on the aisle early in past season. Yeah, I do. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they carry an extra arm and go with a six-man rotation. You know what? We need to get Ron Darling back on. We should. We absolutely I should. I can't take this. Uh, I know I'm old. You don't have to remind me. I, I, pitchers were pitching 250 and 300 innings in a season. Not what anymore. Happened? If they, what Aaron Nola happened? Aaron Nola is celebrated on this team as a workhorse for going 200-plus innings every season. Like, let's be real. That's just what it is. Correct. What? But what happened? I, I don't understand. Analytics. I grew up on four man rotations and now we're not, not talking five. Now we're talking six man rotations. You should reach out to Ron and say, hey, Ron, I would like to complain about where baseball is going. Can you come back? And, and by the way, the, these are pitchers that are on a pitch count. Yes. Like, pitchers that don't you hit 90 innings and everybody's in a panic. They're not going to get through with the inning. Yes. And I still think. 
I'll I'll be wrong. I, I'm <laughs> admittedly I've been wrong plenty of times on this show in all our years on the air. Frankly, just this year alone, I've been wrong plenty of times. Yeah, when's the trade deadline? I, and pick a sport. March eighth in <laughs> NHL. Go ahead, double check it. I've rem- after giving Chris Terrian a literal heart attack live on the radio, <laughs> thinking that he was a month off in time and the trade yeah. deadline was days away. We could um, we could by the way we can replay that interview next week because then it'll be the trade deadline. <laughs> the trade deadline. So. <laughs> no need for a new. Yes, let's just replay it and cut out the part where he with thinks the it's accurate wrong. information at that point. <laughs> uh, the, the outfield, though, it looks like I think they'll carry J.K. I wonder whether they end up moving Pache. I mean, I don't know what they'll get for him, but he seems like he'll. Do be, you want him? Do you really want J.K.? Do I not particularly, but yeah. I think he's a left-handed bat off the bench. And I think that's mm-hmm. what they'll look for with him. They'll, they're looking Ugh. for role players. They've got Marsh. They've got Castellanos. They've got Rojas. They've got Merrifield. They've got to find that fifth outfielder out there that's going to play. And if the, if it's going to be a guy who they're going to have on the bench, I think they're going to look for the lefty off the bench rather than the righty. I mean, the choices are David Dahl, Muziotti, Pache, and Jake Cave. And I think in in their the way they look at I, it, I think I think you got to use a younger guy if you can. I'll even take Weston Wilson. I'd rather keep Pache right now. I mean, Weston Wilson plays well, but I, I mean, I would rather have Pache than Cave or Dahl. Uh, I haven't seen what Muziati's done, but I mean, Cave and Pache are both out of options. Well, I guess it also depends on whether Rojas wins the starting center field spot, right? Because if he doesn't, do you then send him to the minors for more work or do you have, you have to make the decision. Do you want a guy off the bench who's going to be the Matt Stairs type who could, who could lift the team with a home run in a spot pinch hitting? Or do you want to have a guy who's a speed guy who can get on and start disrupting things? You have a choice which way you want to go. And for the Phillies right now, they do have a choice if they keep Weston Wilson on this team. I guess arguably you can make the same argument with with Jake Cave, although I, I'm i not as confident in that move. If Rojas doesn't start, I'd rather have him off the bench well, instead and, of in the minors. But Pache can play all three outfield positions. Cave can Not as well as Rojas can. Well, of course not, but he's not going to be your everyday. Pache will be your, your off-the-bench guy in that scenario. I think in the long term, Rojas is the guy they want to have. Now, whether or not you, you know, I've talked about this in a perfect scenario, you shouldn't need to worry about his bat. He's the defense that is the glue in the outfield and everybody else should be able to pick him up with the bats that you have in this lineup. Now, the question becomes, who do you bat behind Bryce Harper? Do you put Bohm? Do you put Castellanos? Do you put Real Muto? How well, do you wait, where are you batting Harper this year? Are you batting him second, third or fourth? I think they, they bat him third. I think that Thompson's going to go with the lineup that drives you nuts, where it's Schwarber, Turner, Harper, and then who is four? Is it Bohm, Castellanos? I, I, would actually, I would actually bat Harper second. Okay, tell me why. Tell me what how you would lay out the lineup if you were... Well, you, you want him to be under the theory that everybody advances who believes in having Schwarber lead off it so that he gets more at-bats, right? Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then why would you not do the same thing for Harper right behind him? So do you put Turner behind Harper or do you put Turner further down and have somebody behind Harper at three? I'd probably put Turner at four or five. Okay. I think that because... So do you put Bohm at three in that scenario? No, I'd probably put J. Depending on how JT comes out of the spring training, I'd have JT go third. He seems to think that he found something in his swing and had a nice home run in his leadoff shot yesterday. 
by the way, everybody thinks that. Look, everybody's so. found something new. Everybody has a new pitch. Everybody has a new stance. Everybody's changed their feet. That's the beauty of spring training is that hope springs eternal. And I'm here for Every, it. Everybody's you know me happy all the these years. Of spring I am nothing if not the eternal optimist of a fan. I am here for this. No, exciting. you are anything but the <laughs> optimist. <laughs> but, but it's great that everybody says this. <laughs> And we all believe it at the beginning, unless you're an A's fan, then you don't believe, <laughs> you any don't of believe this. anything. <laughs> exactly. But I'll believe it when I see it. But I do think, all things being equal, I think that you would want, and you want, want a right handed bat behind Harper. So I, I think that what you do is you go Schwarber, Harper, but then you are, those are two lefties. They like so to go have, lefty, righty, lefty, righty. And yeah, that, but that's so, generally but why you're going lefty, lefty, righty, and then and then I think maybe you have Trey Turner and then Alec Bohm, well, then Castellanos. We'll see what they do. I, I still need to lobby for every game to be televised. There, there was a game Who, out on TV the other day and it drove me crazy. Unless unless you think that Bryce the, the Bryson Stott is now ready to be moved farther up in the lineup, or do you leave him where he was successful? I have, I, I don't know. I've liked Stott higher up in the lineup. I, I've liked Stott at two with Harper at three, but I don't. Hey, how about, how about Bryson Stott spending the offseason mentoring younger players? I like that. And when you talk about where he bats, Stott can take a lot of pitches. That's why mm -hmm. I like him earlier in the lineup. Let a pitcher battle against Stott and then come up a little bit more tired against Harper at three, as opposed to somebody who's a little more free swinging up there. Before him. Well, back in my day. Yeah, we know that day. What you what what <laughs> that, back in those days when the pitcher batted, then Stott was even more justified to be at the top of the lineup based on what you said, because you always wanted the guy who was batting leadoff to take a lot of pitches after the pitcher batted, right? Yep. So back in the day when pitchers batted, Stott was even more logical as the leadoff hitter. But I think that we're wasting time in our lives if we sit there and want to fight over something that we have no control over, which is somehow Schwarber is going to continue to bat leadoff. That's going to happen. Uh, I, I just, I, I just, I, I, we can all pull our hair out, what little of it we have left. And I just think it's not changing a thing. I think that with this manager, Schwarber, unless Schwarber gets off to a 115 batting average as opposed to his regular 180 to 190 batting average, I think that he's staying at the top of the lineup. I just can't believe that we are now in an era where it is acceptable to have your leadoff hitter bat under what we all used to call the Mendoza line. It's encouraged. How did we get it's in, it's not only acceptable, it's encouraged. How? Because well, it's not encouraged to bat poorly. No, but the idea is you put a big bopper up there to put pressure on the pitcher to start the game. You just disagree philosophically with that. It's not how you came I, up. Uh, if this is going to continue, look at me. I'm ready to bang on the table. <laughs> you are like into uh, this answer, whatever you're going to say right because now. Because as bad a guy as he appeared to be. My belief is, is that Dave Kingman was ahead of his time <laughs> and that if he played today, they would be throwing a half a billion dollars at him in a contract. This was a man that if you look up his stats, 
is everything that everybody dreams Kyle Schwarber should be. You will die. Like, on I, a I Dave really Kingman don't Hill. understand this. You will absolutely die on the Dave Kingman Hill. Why don't we leave it there? We'll. And by the way, I believe that Larry Boa agreed with me. He did agree <laughs> with you. Brought up the Dave Kingman thing. Why don't we hit the break? When we come back, we'll talk to Ann Ligori and then get a little bit more to close the show. Stick with us. Okay. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. All right, Jeff, uh, let's talk golf and everything else. Let's bring on broadcaster, author, philanthropist, Anne Liguori. Uh, congratulations on your new book, which we'll get to in a, in a minute. Thank you so much for the time today. Hey, my pleasure. And I'm actually holding the book. You got uh, I got copies? my allotment a couple days ago, so I'm very excited. It's still all so new to me. <laughs> so the new book is Life on the Green, Lessons and Wisdom from Legends of Golf. Uh, tell us, what's it like to, to hold your, your work in your hands. I know, right? Uh, all those years of so much work and effort. Um, you know, first it takes a long time to get a publishing deal. Then I was fortunate enough to get a deal. And then you have to actually write it and do the work and interview the personalities. So, and then you have to go through the whole editing process, which is, a, you know, another, uh, you know, ordeal. And now I'm in the promotional uh, part of the whole process. And, um, it's, it feels really good. I'm so pleased with the way it came out. It's published by happily press with, um, penguin and random house distributing it. So I have a really good team of people behind me and, um, it feels really good. It's actually my second book, but my first one in years. So, um, you know, it's a lot of work, but well worth it. <laughs> What's it, you know, you've spent a career interviewing some of the most fascinating people in sports, not and outside of sports, entertainment. And what's it like? You're now on this book tour and you're now the one being inter uh, interviewed. I know, right? That it is a little odd, I have to say, because I'm normally the one asking the questions. And I think I like that better. Uh, you know, you do your research, you do all your homework, you get to know more about the person than they possibly could know about themselves. And then you just let the conversation flow, right? Um, but yeah, as the uh, guest on shows, it's been, you know, it's been a lot of fun and maybe you know going forward that's the role that you know i'll get more used to but um i enjoy it and tomorrow here at the cognizant classic in palm beach gardens florida i'm going to talk to 250 women at this women's leadership forum and talk about you know overcoming the obstacles professionally personally and i'm going to weave in the messages from the book life on the green lessons and wisdom from legends of golf and i chose 12 legends six men, six women. And basically it's what they learned from their iconic golf careers that they bring to their day-to-day -day life. So it's really about life wisdom. It's, it's not, you know, if you want to have golf instruction, that's not what this is about. This is really about life lessons and life wisdom with a whole bunch of stories thrown in. And I think even the most diehard golfers will be enlightened with new information and new stories because all the personalities in this book were just so giving of their time and so open. Uh, and I think that's what I'm most proud of, just really hearing stories that I've never heard 
heard before, having been in golf and sports for so many years. Um, a lot of new stories in this book. So I'm very pleased about that. Two of the women that you spoke to in this book are Nancy Lopez and Annika Sorenstam. What, what did you take away from talking to two of the legends of golf? Well, I mean, they both have incredible messages. Nancy Lopez, who certainly was the face of golf in the 70s, her message is to stay positive. And you know how hard that is on the golf course to stay positive because we're only as good as our last good shot, which may not come too often. Yeah. For me, for me, there's a lot of distance between those two good shots. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, you have to be positive and that carries over to life. It is so difficult with all the ups and downs in our life journey to stay positive. And you just have to somehow remain positive. And Nancy's chapter is all about that, how she stayed positive on the golf course, even, you know, in times of great challenge and, and difficulty, she always stayed positive. She calls it playing happy golf, which I love because as amateurs, we can be so frustrated and so discouraged and so humbled by golf. Yet her message is so universal. Stay positive on the golf course. And in life, we're always hit with, you know, challenges and obstacles. We have to stay positive. It's very hard to do, but just to stay positive in golf is her biggest message. And then Annika, what a career she's had, right? Annika, and she's still going strong. She's playing in all these celebrity tournaments now and beating, you know, guy athletes who are superstars from their perspective sports. And Annika's message is patience. You know, as a golfer, as you know, you have to be patient. And as a mother, she has two children. You definitely have to be patient, she says. So that's a very important message too. And, you know, I was a, a, an all-around athlete when I was a kid. I didn't really take to golf until later in life. And I literally had to learn so much um, about myself and about golf when I started taking up the sport because, you know, unlike tennis and basketball and volleyball, and all these sports I played when I was a kid. In golf, you have to be patient. I mean, you're standing over a stationary ball and, you know, it can do anything. <laughs> you think, how hard can that be, right? Hitting a stationary golf ball. But it is a lot about patience and, and learning how to stay in the moment. And then obviously in life, we have to be patient. Not everything comes all at once. Very rarely does that happen. So Annika has a lot of wisdom as well. So very pleased with uh, what, what those two women shared in this book. You, you mentioned how giving everybody was uh, Padraig Harrington and his openness about nerves and fear and his insights about going into Sunday being up shots versus down shots uh, seems fascinating. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I'm actually looking for Padraig Harrington this week at the uh, Cognizant Classic because I want to hand him his copy of the book instead of you know shipping it all the way to Ireland. <laughs> so I was just uh, on the range looking for him. He should be here in any time now. So, but yeah, Padraig was so open. He shared things about himself that a lot of people really don't know. And not that he just, he not only has nerves on the golf course, but he also has fear. And that's incredible that he has fear. Every time he tees it up, three-time major champion, still playing on the PJ tour, on the champions PJ tour, he feels fear every time he tees it up. Will his game show up? Will he hit? And it just, a just the, the worst shot on the planet. You know what? I mean, can you imagine having that kind of fear? I mean, I have nerves when I'm on the golf course for sure, 
But fear, I, I'm not, I know I'm not a professional golfer, so I don't think I have fear. Thank God, right? <laughs> but Padre still has fear all these years later. And then I thought the mentality, the strategy in his mind that he puts himself in, say he's leading a tournament on the final round, in the final round on Sunday, he has to do, use a little reverse psychology. He has to tell himself he's behind. Or nine times out of 10, he told me he won't win. And that's interesting because he is so much better playing one or two shots behind than he is a shot or two ahead. So everybody has their own strategies, but that strategy works best for Padre Harrington. You know, one of the, one of the great things about your interview style through the years has been that you humanize people that the people have put up on pedestals and it comes across in the story that you just told, but even the stories that you tell in interviewing Jack Nick who's a legend and people think of him in a, almost in a different stratosphere. And yet you got out of him information about family. What was it like talking to, to Jack Nicholas about that? You know, Jack Nicholas is kind of like, has this aura about him, right? I mean, he's just amazing. And I did the zoom interview with him and he gave me so much time. And of course, family first is part of his chapter. He also talks about integrity. He also talks about, you know, sportsmanship and how important those two uh, traits are. And of course, Jack's been an incredible role model his entire life and career and has about what 26 grandchildren right now. So he, he's a role model to a lot of young people. And Barbara, ironically, this week, uh, she's here all week. Um, this tournament benefits their foundation. They do so much charitable work and her birthday is this week as well. So I'm going to be seeing Barbara this week, which I just think Barbara Nicholas is the first lady of golf. She's just extraordinary. And Jack is, you know, very open about that. He's just, he adores Barbara. They're, they're an incredible, uh, she's an incredible partner. They've had this long time, very successful marriage. And, you know, a lot of it is give and take and seeing the other person's point of view, or even if you don't just, uh, giving in. And, um, you know, I think that's good advice. You know, the key to their successful marriage is give and take and overlook and just, you know, really having a, a lot of respect for each other. And Barbara is an incredible public speaker and Jack will always kind of give her the nod. He'd prefer Barbara speak in, you know, in front of a lot of people than, than, than he speak himself to, to everybody. It's just, he, you know, they just have this incredible partnership and there's a lot of love and a lot of respect in that relationship. So in that chapter, he talks a lot about what makes that partnership work. And, uh, you know, there'd be times during his stellar career where on a Saturday, he'd be leaving the tournament. He would get a plane, fly to Florida to go to his son's little league game so, or football game so he could be there for his kid and then fly back and play in the final round on Sunday. So he really made it a point to put family first. And I, I just think that's such an important aspect. And he articulates it so well in that chapter. No, and you, we, we talk on this show a lot about how athletes and the people we have on the show uh, use their platforms to benefit society. And you're no different. Uh, you have the Anne Liguori Foundation yourself. How did you get involved in that? And how did you begin to realize that, that it was bigger than a job that you could use this career to actually benefit others? Well, you know, that's a great question. When I was uh, in college, I lost my dad to cancer. He was only 63 and I was a junior at the university of South Florida. And uh, then I graduated from college and right out of college, I 
earned a fellowship, which brought me right to New York City. I'm a small town girl from Brecksville, Ohio. And um, here I am in the Big Apple and starting this uh, fellowship program. And my brother had uh, been diagnosed with leukemia. And this was only, what, a year and a half after my father passed away from cancer. So my family, we suffered two tragedies in a, you know, within like two years of each other. And from that point on, I just told myself, I'm going to do as much as I can, you know, to raise money for cancer research, you know, for leukemia research, for cancer care. And so I started doing a charity golf event in the Hamptons. And you know how many great golf courses are on the east end of Long Island. And I found that if I could get one of these great golf courses to host my charity golf event, that it would sell out because everybody wanted to play those tournaments. <laughs> so I raised, you know, every year, this is, well, this year will be our 26th. It's uh, May 29th. We're going to be at Friars Head, obviously a very prestigious golf course. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of support from the golf community. You know, we sell out every year. We raise a lot of money and awareness for cancer research and cancer care. And I put about, gosh, 12 or 13 years ago, I put together the Anne Ligori Foundation. So we could also support a number of other not-for-profits. And it used to be I used to do the tournament for the American Cancer Society, and now I can, you know, raise money for the American Cancer Society, St. Jude, uh, Kids Need More, East End Hospice, a lot of different organizations that uh, focus on cancer research and cancer care. So you know, it means a lot to me to give back. And um, everybody, you know, the tournament's been very popular every year, and um, I, I'm just grateful that I'm healthy and, and well enough to be able to do this all these years. So it's a, it's a big part of, of the calendar every year. You know, you talk about being a small town girl, you were, you were a trailblazer for, for women in, in this field. You know, you didn't, you played sports, but you didn't want to do it professionally. You knew you wanted to be a sports broadcaster and you got into it and it's, it was fun to learn about your journey, but it seems like you're always confident in who you were. And that comes across in the Howard Cosell story that I saw. Can you tell us about your time with Howard Cosell at ABC? Wow. You know, and I think that's funny that you saw that, right? That, that story goes way back. But I also think being an athlete as a young person, I had an little brother, brother, Jim, and uh, every sport he did, I did. And back then there was really, there was no gender discrimination. We played sports in the backyard. The whole neighborhood would gather in our backyard after school and we'd play football. We'd play baseball. We'd play kickball. And because I was a quick and, and good athlete, I was normally one of the first, you know, athletes picked on these teams. And, uh, so I think being, and then I got into high school and I, uh, earned varsity letters in a variety of sports. And honestly, back then we, our high school did not even have a girl's tennis team. So I was able to compete on the boys varsity tennis team. And when I was a senior, I played number one singles. <laughs> that was, that was crazy back then. But, um, I learned a lot, obviously competing with and against guys on that boys tennis team. And, uh, so I don't, I just think being an athlete in, in my youth really helped build my confidence so fast forward, I'm working at ABC Radio Sports Network, and it's my literally my first week uh, on the job as kind of like a freelance producer. And Howard Cosell back then did you know the commentaries from his house, his uh, on you know Fifth Avenue, 
And he had said something wrong in a commentary that went out earlier that morning. And my shift was just starting. And my job was to get, you know, all the afternoon shows and commentary is prepared. And people were calling and he said something wrong. And I listened to it and I can't even remember what he said, but I knew it was inaccurate. So at that point, I figured I have to make this perfect. As a producer, that's my job. It has to be accurate. So I asked the engineer, uh, you know, for Howard's number. I said, we have to call Howard and get him to redo this. And the engineer turned like, I mean, as white as a ghost. He said, no, 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 no. You're not calling Howard at home. Are you kidding me? Because Howard, you know, had that intimidating presence. He'd walk through the hall at ABC Sports and everybody would be like, oh my gosh, it's Howard Gustav. This is back in the day when there were a couple networks. You didn't have all these, you know, you had the big three networks and ESPN was just starting and Fox Sports was just starting, but Howard was such a legend, right? But I didn't really care who, who he was or, you know, what kind of pedestal he was on. I had to get it right. So I, I find his number on my own. I call him up. And I said, Howard, you don't know me. My name is Allegory. It's my first week on the job. Uh, and you made a mistake in this commentary. You said this and you meant to say that. So just redo that one line. I'll edit it in and it will be golden. <laughs> well, there is this long <laughs> pause. And then you hear this iconic voice. Do you know who I am, young lady? This is Howard Cosell. I don't make mistakes. And I thought I was going to just lose it. I, I just thought there goes my career. I'm done. He's going to, I'm going to be fired. This is it. This is Howard Cosell. And so then quickly in my head, I'm thinking, well, what can I say that will kind of, you know, make me survive this ordeal? And I said, Howard, normally I know you're flawless. You're perfect. But in this case, you really meant to say this. And if you don't mind, just redo it and we'll make it perfect. I know you want to be perfect, Howard. All right. You know, and you heard him grunting in the background and he just redid it. And that was it. And the engineer is freaking out. He couldn't believe that, you know, I had this, you know, this interaction with Howard. Particularly, I hardly, I didn't know the guy. It was my first week there. But I have to say, guys, after that, he honestly never forgot my name. We always had great conversations. He really respected me for, I guess, us calling him and, you know, standing up to him because a lot of other people were so intimidated by him. They wouldn't even want to get near him. Right. So it all worked out for the best. Thank goodness. <laughs> you, you know, you mentioned there were only a couple of stations at, at the time. You, you're somebody who's been able to watch the sports media landscape change and kind of be on the leading edge of it, you know, starting with radio as sports grew. And then with the golf channel on the TV side, with the interviews and features, now we have social media and hot take and talk shows and point counterpoint. Can you talk about how you've seen the, the sports media landscape change through your career? Oh my gosh, it has changed so much. I mean, back then there weren't as many opportunities, obviously, because there were fewer sports networks and certainly fewer sports radio networks. I was the first woman to host a call-in sports show on WFAN, right? And that was the first all sports radio station. And that started back in 1987. And if I had a penny for everybody who said all sports radio, are you kidding me? That's never going to work. Ha ha ha. <laughs> right. And I think the same with the golf channel. That was one of the very first niche channels. And if I had a penny for everybody who said golf, 24 hours, seven golf, are you kidding me? That's not going to work. So yeah, it really has changed. And I think now with social media, I don't know. I don't think it's really changed for the better. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's, it's not as much about journalism and in-depth 
journalism and accuracy as it is about what can you know people put up on social media that's going to get everybody's attention so we get more followers you know so that part of it i dislike but uh, and then of course it's changed the way athletes view the media and the access that they may or may not give the media right uh you know honestly you know tiger you you, you never could get inner one-on-one interviews with him. But as soon as social media became a thing, he would put out his own press releases and his own statements on his own media. So the athletes have used it to their advantage too, which has affected the way journalists cover news and sports. So it's just changed so much. I mean, honestly, the people, the 12 legends in this book are all role models. They're all a little older. You know, you have, for men, you have Ben Crenshaw, Padraig Harrington, Bernard Longer, Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, Tom Watson. For women, Jan Stevenson, who was had, has had some great stories. I mean, she was very much exploited as a sex symbol in the 70s just to help the fledging LPGA back then. Uh, Annika Sorenstam, we talked about Nancy Lopez, Amy Alcott, who talks about being the captain of your own ship. That's a great, great message there. Dottie Pepper, who now is on CBS Sports. And just with like Dottie Pepper's story, how things have changed. Um, you know, she doesn't really feel that much discrimination and never did. She was hired based on her incredible professional career. And, uh, the, you know, she raves about the executive producer and the producers at NBC and golf channel who really support her. And, you know, I kind of wish I had that story back in the day because I don't feel like I had, you know, that kind of support early in my career. I had a lot of other obstacles to overcome being a woman. But yeah, I mean, the media has changed for sure. Sports media, particularly for women, there are much more opportunities now for women, you know, not only sideline reporting, but I think there's a lot more women in decision making capacities, which is very important. Uh, hoping that they're supporting other women and mentoring other women. So there's just so much change in the media, some good, some bad. I, I, I have to be honest. A lot of it isn't, isn't good change. You know, it's great that you, you took the opportunity to interview six, six men and six women as you interviewed them. Did you come across a difference in perspective as, as to where each of their tours have come from and where they're going? Their professional tours? Um, well, let's see. I mean, we didn't really talk about their individual tours because most of their messaging is about life wisdom. Um, you know, if you ask, if you're asking me, you know, what did they think about live? What do they think about live golf? I don't, I didn't even ask them about that. I mean, Padraig and I, we covered a little bit of it early in the chapter, but you know, the deadline for these books is months in advance. And that's such an ever changing window, uh, live and the PJ tour and, and what's going on. Will they partner, um, that kind of thing. I don't know what you all feel about live. I do know that, um, it has, you know, all this, um, this turmoil has damaged the sport. I really believe that. Uh, so I can tell you how I personally feel about that, but with the 12 legends that I, that I talked to, we didn't really go there. I wanted this to be a real uplifting, enlightening, positive book um, with these role models. I knew that we were coming out of and still are in quite a very divisive time in our sport. 
So I didn't really want to ask them about it uh, for the book. I mean, I've talked to them on my radio show, Talking Golf on WFAN. You know, I get them to talk about it all the time because it is such a compelling topic and everybody has their own opinions about, about PJ Tour versus Live, et cetera. But um, I tell you, we are in strange times in not only society, but in our sport of golf. And um, I just hope that, that the fans don't disappear because it's, you know, all these athletes going after the big bucks. It's all about money. They just appear a lot of times now to be so greedy. And I think that turns off the fan. I know it turns me off. Yeah, To, to me, what, what I was more interested in with regard to, to women's sports and the women's perspective on this is you're now seeing the WNBA kind of standing on its own and you're seeing women's soccer because of the U.S. women's national team standing on its own. The LPGA seems to have been the pioneer of that. The, the LPA, LPGA tour stood on its own for a long time. Did, do you see the women that you've interviewed and, and others that you've interviewed outside of this book seeing the LPGA for what it was, being a pioneer and, and seeing it having a promising future? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you look at the difference uh, with the LPGA back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, you know, yes, Jan Stevenson, uh, Nancy Lopez, Amy Alcott, Dottie Pepper, when they played and then Annika, it has changed so much. Uh, Mike Wan did an amazing job, I feel, as the LPGA commissioner when he was there. And now he's the head of, at the United States Golf Association. And he gave me a great quote for the book. Um, but yeah, these women, they, you know, as I said, Jan Stevenson was used as like her sex appeal to sell the LPJ tour. Could you imagine that happening now? That would never happen now. That could never, that would be so, you know, impolitically correct. It would never, you know, it would never happen now with the LPGA. But, and Jan made a lot of enemies back then. A lot of the, her colleagues on the tour were, were not happy that that's what was taking place. And it took her years and years and years to get into the Hall of Fame because of all the controversy of, of you know, what she was doing back in the 70s to kind of be the face of the LPGA tour. You know, she posed nude in a bathtub with a bunch of golf balls. Remember that uh, pinup? I don't know if you saw that, but that was obviously very controversial. But now, uh, and Nancy too, Nancy had had to do a lot to you know promote the LPGA Tour. Now they have tournaments all over the world. It's become a truly global tour. The prize money is incredible. Uh, the, the U.S., Open the women's open always. They're setting records every year of, of, with prize money and and the KPMG PGA Championship. So the women are starting to make money now. I mean, before it was just so hard to play and train, and I don't you, you had to you know you had to have people who believed in you you know, financially supported you. You had to get a lot of sponsors just to afford the day-to-day -day expenses. Now these women are, are leading very, you know, wonderful lives and they're, you know, they're, they're wealthy and they're, they're making, they're earning money, not only from on course earnings, but from endorsements. So yes, we've seen a lot of positive change uh, in the LPGA and, and, and more to come. It keeps growing and, and getting better and better. Before we let you go, I did have one more on the book. Somebody whose background seemed a little bit different, Bernard Longer. Uh, he came from a very poor background and, and talks about it sort of drives his hunger. He started as a caddy to put food on the table for his parents. Can you talk about his story a little bit before we close? I love his story, Bernard Longer. Uh, his chapter is titled, Have Faith and Be Grateful for What You Have. 
And his very existence uh, was certainly miraculous because he shared that the, the doctor made it clear to his mother during her pregnancy that she would run a high risk of losing the child and maybe killing herself uh, if she did indeed give birth. So, and this is Bernard, you know, sharing this with me, which I had never heard before. So, yeah, I mean, not only was uh, that just incredible revelation about his life, but as you say, he was very, very poor. And, and I just think, you know, that's what drives him. I mean, he's what, 66 and still going strong, still, you know, the winningest player on the champions PGA tour. He, you know, he won last year to surpass Hale Irwin and, uh, unfortunately he just hurt, um, he has an injury and I, I, I had heard that this was going, going to be the last masters he was going to play in. And unfortunately he has, he got injured. So he's going to be out for a while, which is, I, uh, you know, ironic because he's always been in such great shape and he, he's so driven and, and he works out all the time and eats well. And, but yeah, to be that driven, there has to be, yeah, you have to go back into somebody's life and, and psyche to understand why all these years later, he would still want to put in the time to practice, to train, to travel all over the world and to continue to win. And I think it has to do with Jason, what you brought up his, uh, childhood and how poor he was. And I think that instills, you know, a, a hunger in you literally and figuratively. And it's obvious, obvious that he still has that hunger to compete. And so there's no doubt in my mind, he will come back from this injury and get out there and, and hopefully be a hundred percent again. I'd love to see him continue to play and continue to win. He's quite the inspiration. Well, our listeners can read all about it themselves. They can advance order their copy of the books before it comes out on April 1st. So they have it in time for the masters and Ligori. congratulations again on the new book and thank you so much for the time jason jeff i really enjoyed it thank you so much for your interest and uh have a great week career and Ligori has had and fun to get to talk to her about it some uh, she was a pioneer wfam was before its time uh, all sports talk radio and she was one of the originals she she is literally one of the ogs and the thing that we now do today hopefully don't ever take for granted and now that we've done that i need to go back <laughs> uh, uh, the, the dave you? kingman hill <laughs> is not done okay since since it is now baseball season i am going to show you stats Ready? Dave Kingman played for 16 seasons. Yes. Okay. He had 442 home runs in those 16 seasons. Okay. 1,200 RBIs in those seasons. Yes. And 1,800 strikeouts. And by the way, people said that he struck out too much. When he led the league three years in strikeouts, his highs in strikeouts were 156, 131, and 105. How many did Schwarber have last year? Uh, over, well, we know he's had over 200 in the season, right? Uh. So you're what? You're welcome to look that up, but I just sit there. I am literally in shock that Dave, that Dave Kingman had these kinds of stats. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, you, based on today's statistics, you can fight uh, you that can advance fight. metric him to death if you want. And by the way, he batted a high 236 for a career. 
236. You, Kyle Schwarber can only dream about hitting 236. You can fight that fight. I will stand there while you fight it. Can we talk about something else for the last three minutes, or do we have to die over <laughs> Dave Kingman here and his stats from 30 years ago? I, I, I need to, is Dave Kingman still alive? Because if he is, we need to get him on the show. <laughs> Reach out to him and say, you have no bigger fan than Jeff Cohen in Philadelphia. I am on the radio making the case for you every single week. <laughs> he is currently 75 years old. We Call him. Him. Reach out to him. Dave, if anybody knows Dave Kingman out there, please have him call the show. <laughs> Just get on it. We won't give you the number. Just call Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Can I talk Sixers for a second? Are they going to make it to Joel Embiid getting back? We got like two minutes left. What do you mean they're going to make it? They have to show up every night. <laughs> are they still going to be a It's arguably team? whether some of these players are actually showing up, but. They're 33 and 25. They've lost 12 of their last 16. Last season, they were 11 and 5 without Joel Embiid. This season, they're 7 and 17. They're now sixth place in the East, just ahead of the Pacers and the Magic, ahead of the playing game. And when Embiid was asked, he said, that's the plan. Obviously, everything has to go right as far as getting healthy. I'm supposed to be. But yeah, that's the plan when asked if he's coming back and playing this week. He told Keith and other reporters that. Your thoughts on where the Sixers will be if and when that happens? Well, they're going to make the plan. I mean, right now, they're seven games ahead of the 10th team, which is the Atlantic, Atlanta Hawks. So I don't see how they fall that far back that they don't make it because the 11th team isn't making that. That's the Brooklyn Nets. And they're, they're in total chaos, and they still have Ben Simmons. So Ben Simmons led Brooklyn Nets. Exactly. The Sixers right now are 33-25, and 25, so they're eight games over. The Nets are 22-36, and 36, 14 games under. So And the Raptors are right behind. They're 22-37. and 37. And then Charlotte and Charlotte with Washington and Detroit probably are already eliminated. So I, I think they make the playoffs, but they are not going to avoid playing games. And if that's the case, again, I ask you, is it worth it? Because if you, let's say you advance past the play-in games, if you're the worst of those, you play the Celtics, right? If you're second, you either play the Bucks or the Cavalier. I, I just don't know why this would be worth risking his career over. And I'm not a doctor, but it just seems to me that having him come back a couple games before the season ends not in shape. And I don't care what he's doing. I don't care if he's riding the Peloton for two hours every day. He is not going to be in game shape. And you can't tell me that his knee is going to be as structurally sound as, as it could be if he took a few more months off. So why risk this? That's for gonna, what? What What do you have to gain? That's going to be the last word. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. 